John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured all to save But though he sleeps his life was lost while struggling for the slave His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Hallelujah, or his soul is marching on. Welcome to War of the Rebellion, Stories of the Civil War. I am your host, Leon, and this is episode three of the Patreon episodes. And I am reading and commenting on Company K, 155th Pennsylvania Volunteer Zouaves, a detailed history of its organization and services to the country during the Civil War, from 1862 until the collapse of the Rebellion. Together with many incidents and reminiscence of the camp, the march, and the battlefield. And also much of the history of the grand old 155th, which is precisely why we're reading it, because it has some things in here that are not in the regimental history. So, let's pick up right where we left off. The next route was to Rural Village, where I met David B. Kirkpatrick, who enlisted and took one of the enlistment papers and received several names on it for the company. From thence, up the valley as far as Kirkpatrick's store, near where James B. Hill resided, and who enlisted and was authorized to receive recruits, from there to Glade Run and Dayton. While at the latter place, I met several of the students of the academy, and through them received an invitation to meet the faculty and students in their hall at 2 o'clock p.m. I complied, and gave them a statement of my knowledge of the situation of our armies, and the necessity of volunteers, that the government need not resort to drafting. My remarks met with the approbation of the school. Yet the great sacrifice that was necessary to students and the consequent suspension of the school during the war caused most of them to delay until after my company was filled, and then they formed a company of which Professor Duff was made captain. From there, my route lay by the way of Goheensville to a camp meeting, which was in progress about five miles north of the last named place. I arrived there Saturday noon and remained over Sunday. Here I met Captain W.C. Beck, who had previously drilled a number of us at the courthouse, and who had about completed the organization of a volunteer company called the Finley Cadets. On Sabbath, a number had collected for drill, and I was requested to assist in the drill, but declined and gave them a short address on their duty to their country and their God. That we should observe the Sabbath day, and hear the preached word by his servants, whenever it was practicable, even in the army. On Monday, I left the place without any apparent success, few realizing the national situation. Returning by the way of the Kellersburg, on this route, a number of persons were met who afterwards enlisted. When, near Kellersburg, while stopping for the night, there was an appointment for a public meeting at the schoolhouse, to be addressed by William Blakely, a lawyer hailing from Kittening, who was recruiting a cavalry company. The people at the place where I was staying for the night urged me to attend the meeting, 
and although I had a slight acquaintance with Mr. Blakely, he did not receive me with favor, supposing my work would interfere with his, and during the address made remarks detrimental to my interest. But through the courtesy of the presiding officer, I was called upon to speak. So I gave them a statement of my business, and said that it was not my intention to interfere with any other organization, and that it was the duty of all to stand by our government and put down the rebellion. My remarks were received favorably, but I made no efforts to receive recruits there. From the last named place, the route selected was down the Mahoning Valley to its mouth, and from thence to Kittening. Having requested those who were engaged to receive recruits to report during my absence to Colonel Finley, it was only on my return that I realized from the numerous reports and inquiries which had been received the good effect of the canvas. From this time on, the organization was completed by correspondence notices in the paper, and printed handbills in the forms of orders or requests to the parties who had been engaged to enlist volunteers. To give a more definite idea of how the work of recruiting the company was conducted in the villages and country districts, it will be necessary to append the copies of papers and letters still remaining in my hands, of which the first in order is the enlistment papers left in the hands of David B. Kirkpatrick, which reads as follows. We the undersigned, hereby pledge true allegiance to the United States and to the state of Pennsylvania, and agree to form a volunteer company for three years or during the war, under J. Andrew Klein Recruiting Officer, August 7, 1862. Names. William F. Long, D.B. Kirkpatrick, and Simon Schregenagost. The second was left James B. Hill, and was almost a copy of the former, and read as follows. We, the undersigned, hereby pledge true allegiance to the United States and to the state of Pennsylvania, and agree to form a volunteer company for three years or during the war, under J. Andrew Klein, Captain, August 7, 1862. Loyal Union Guards. Names. Samuel Mack. William H. Van Dyke. Samuel Bivord. James B. Hill, Damas Welland, Robert Thompson. This has the following endorsement on the back, viz. I hereby authorize James B. Hill to receive recruits for the Within Volunteer Company and report the same to me at Kittening. J. A. Klein. Rural Valley, August 18, 1862. The following letters are thought of sufficient interest to give entire. Rural Valley, August 18, 1862 Mr. Andrew Klein, respected sir, I received your letter on Friday and was pleased to hear that you are succeeding so well in raising your company. I have succeeded in raising nine recruits, and I think we can raise two or three more. I send their names. William W. Wells, August Snyder, D.B. Kirkpatrick, William W. Caldwell, A. Fleming, J. L. Ewing, J. Moore, C. Logan, John Moore, James Hayes, D. H. Ruffner, K. G. Fleming, J. Cowan, J. Bryan, A. Ekman, J. Galbraith, R. M. McGaughy, J. Ekman, J. C. Kirkpatrick, William Russell, C. Kinter, I send you the entire list that is on my paper, eleven of which you have, 
If you send me word where you want us to move, I will notify the rest. Let us know as soon as you can. No more, but I remain yours truly. William W. Caldwell Belknap, Pennsylvania, August 19, 1862 Dear Sir, I heard that you were raising a company. Then I heard it was for some other person. Please let me know by Friday's mail if there's no opportunity sooner. How many men have you? When must you have the company made up? When will the government cease taking volunteers, and when will the bounties cease to be paid? Please answer these if you can. There are a number in this neighborhood who, if they really thought there would be drafting, would volunteer. If you are getting up a company, I wish you would come out here a day or two. I will assist you all I can. I will send this by hands of Mr. Ellenberger, who has joined Captain McCain's company. Yours truly, D.P. Marshall. J. Andrew Klein. This communication was answered, and one of the enlistment papers sent with it, which was returned with the names of which the following is a copy. We, the undersigned, hereby pledge true allegiance to the United States and to the state of Pennsylvania, and agree to form a volunteer company for three years or during the war called Loyal Union Guards, under J.A. Klein, Captain, August 7th, 1862. D.P. Marshall, R.O. Clever, David Olinger, Samson Schrengost, J.D. Armstrong, J.H. Clever, Daniel Hauser, William Chrisman, this paper had the name of the company Loyal Union Guards, which name had been adopted at the suggestion of Colonel Finley, but not generally used until after my return from canvassing the county for recruits. I also have on hand a letter heading handed to me bearing the handwriting of Colonel Finley. A copy is here given. Kittening Bank J.E. Brown President J.B. Finley Cashier Kittening, Pennsylvania, August 20, 1862 by authority of His Excellency, Andrew G. Curtin, Governor of Pennsylvania, for Captain J. A. Klein's company, MVP, John Stewart, William D. Porter. The paper, left at the bank in care of William Pollock, was returned with 38 names attached as recorded below. We, the undersigned, pledge true allegiance to the United States and to the state of Pennsylvania and agree to form a volunteer company for three years or during the war under J. Andrew Klein, Recruiting Officer. August 7th, 1862. R.L. McGonney, R.C. Renter, David Marshall, William Whittaker, William B. Hayes, William Reisman, William Wells, J. Ruffner, August Snyder, W.L.G. Black, John Black, John B. Fitzgerald, W.B. Borland, A.L. Wilson, S.P. Barrett, D. Brown, J. C. Russell, Thomas J. Marlin, D. L. McCloskey, J. A. Klein, D. B. Kirkpatrick, John Moore, William W. Caldwell, James W. Hayes, James A. Galbraith, Joseph L. Ewing, John A. Fleming, Isaac L. Moore, K. G. Fleming, David C. Kirkpatrick, C. A. Logan, William Renner, John M. Ryan, George A. Aikman, J. A. H. Foster, William J. Johnston, E. A. Calhoun, J. R. Henderson. The above list, 
includes names of some who had been reported on other papers, but as this was at headquarters at time of rendezvous, and was intended for all, a few signed their names a second time. Still, another form was used and sent out in answer to parties who wished to enlist and who lived in localities where there was no one authorized to receive recruits, which were returned and their names entered on a correspondence. General List, which has been lost. The following is a copy and will complete the list which is drawn after the manner authorized under Army Regulations and reads thus. Declaration of Recruit I, Robert Brewster, desiring to volunteer as a soldier in the Army of the United States for the term of three years, do declare that I am 36 years of age, that I have never been discharged from the United States service on account of disability or by sentence of court-martial or by order before the expiration of a term of enlistment, and I know of no impediment to my serving honestly and faithfully as a soldier for three years. Robert Brewster Given at Worthington, the 23rd day of August, 1862. Witness, F. Beck Volunteer Enlistment State of Pennsylvania, Town of Worthington. I, Robert Brewster, born in the state of Pennsylvania and now a resident of Armstrong County, aged 36 years, and by occupation a laborer, do hereby acknowledge to have volunteered this 23rd day of August, 1862, to serve as a soldier in the Army of the United States of America for the period of three years unless sooner discharged by proper authority, do also agree to accept such bounty, pay, rations, and clothing as are or may be established by law for volunteers. And I, Robert Brewster, do solemnly swear that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the United States of America, and that I will serve them honestly and faithfully against all their enemies and opposers, whomsoever, and that I will observe and obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the rules and articles of war. Robert Brewster, sworn and subscribed to at Worthington this 23rd day of August, 1862, before M. Duffy, J.P. Another form, same as the above, was signed by James Donald before M. Duffy, and was witnessed by F. Beck at the same time and place, but the soldier did not pass examination on account of physical disability. While there was a standing call for volunteers by the government, at Washington to the governors of loyal states, and through them to the people which had not nearly been filled at this time, and companies and regiments were organizing to till the call under the control and by the direction of the governor, the necessary correspondence for authority to recruit and organize the company, and for the direction of its movements, was left entirely to Colonel J.B. Finley, who had supervisory authority in military affairs for the county. Hence, I gave the matter very little attention, and have had not any dates or reference to give any extended account of the matter. The work of recruiting, being completed about the 20th day of August, I was advised that the company was wanted as soon as it could be assembled, and immediately had an order printed and copy sent to the recruiting agents and enlisted men and a notice put in the papers for a general rendezvous at Kittening on the 25th day of August, 
and for all to be prepared to leave home for camp, and the field immediately. This order caused a general movement, and many who were hesitating at once decided to leave home, family and friends to fight for their country and homes. At the appointed time, one delegation after another arrived, headed by their respective leaders. William W. Caldwell, from Rural Valley. David Brown, from Dayton, or Glade Run. D.P. Marshall, from Belknap. And Risden D. Ford, from Mahoning Valley. The streets of Kittening were thronged with soldiers and their friends, the latter coming to the county seat to take leave of their friends, which to many proved a last fond look and sad farewell, as they gave their lives to save the life of their country. I had previously agreed with some of the leaders to use my influence in the appointment to office in order of rank. Those having the largest number of recruits, all things else being equal, Mr. DeFord, a local preacher of the Shoemakerite persuasion, was chosen leader of the recruits from Mahoning Valley, and had aspired to form an independent company, partly from recruits which were promised to me, but he did not succeed, and sent word requesting leave to bring his men into our company. The request was granted, on the same conditions as the other delegations. During the day of rendezvous, and before I had any opportunity to become acquainted with Mr. DeFord, some evil-disposed persons caused him and some of his men to fear that he would not receive the position he was entitled to in proportion to the number of recruits which caused considerable discussion, and threatened to disband his men. As soon as the trouble was understood, a conference was called at the office of George W. Caldwell, Esquire, and the matter was speedily adjusted to the satisfaction of all parties. Soon after the men were formed in double column on Jefferson Street, in front of the Caldwell House and marched up the street to the diamond corner of Jefferson and Market Street, and from thence to Water Street, and thence down Water Street to the Kittening Iron Store Building, where we came to a halt in front face. Here, after some remarks by Colonel Finley, he administered an oath to the company, and then Reverend George W. Mecklin, president of the Glade Run Academy, made a short address and offered up a prayer in behalf of the company. Urgent orders from the governor hastened preparations, and on Saturday afternoon, August 29th, we embarked in boxed cars, seated on two sides with rough boards, which were brought to the depot for our special use. Our march through the town to the depot brought with us a large number of citizens of the town and country men, women, and children. A number of small boys with whom I had been on familiar terms formed in line near the place of embarkation and waited to receive a farewell shake of the hand. Also, Mrs. Phoebe Brown, wife of my former employer, who had been almost like a mother to me, came from her home on Water Street to the depot to bid me goodbye. And another, who has been close by my side since our return from the war to the present time, was there to bid adieu. Soon all were inside and on our way to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We arrived in Pittsburgh early in the evening were taken to City Hall for supper, and from there to some empty cars. The next morning, we took passage in two old passenger cars attached to a train of ammunition for the army, among which were several cars loaded with powder, and again we were on our way, and after having crossed the Allegheny Mountains, while passing through a cut about noon, one of the axles of a car broke, and we were delayed several hours. During this delay, many of the men traveled some distance from the track to houses and procured something to eat. The damage being repaired, we continued on our route. 
When passing through the towns and villages, we were greeted by an enthusiastic populace with chairs and waving of handkerchiefs by the ladies. But we were not to have the way all smooth, and when about twenty miles from Harrisburg, one of the cars containing powder took fire, and the train was stopped. And the conductor gave me notice in a way not to alarm the men, to quietly have the men leave the cars and get out of the way of danger, which was done without trouble. The fire was soon extinguished, and we arrived at Harrisburg about sundown, and were escorted to the state house, and slept on the floor in the capital of our state without bed or bedding. The night was almost a sleepless one to many, and morning was anxiously looked for. At daylight we marched from the Capitol building to Camp Curtin, which was a short distance out of the city. Here we found quarters and tents put up in company style ready for our use, and we began taking our first lessons in camp life. Muster rolls were required to be made out at once, and while I was briefly engaged on them, some were out at attempting company or squad drill. Well-drilled men, and would have been called awkward squad drill, as there were none who had any experience in drilling or being drilled in company movements. As soon as the rolls were completed, which was on the 3rd of September, we were ordered to another part of the camp to the quarters of the inspection officer. Here we were put through a rigid examination, and all who were physically disqualified marked off the rolls, and transportation furnished them to return to their home. Those who passed were called into line and mustered into the United States Service by taking the oath, which was similar to the one in the recruiting paper last recorded. Out of 112, about 20 were rejected on account of physical disability, and a number of young men who had not received the required certificate of consent from their parents were also refused muster. Those who had not the written consent of their parents to join the army and wished to obtain it, with a few adults who wished to return home on important business, received leave of absence for a few days and transportation to Kittening, and returned to Camp Curtin in charge of William W. Caldwell. The heavy loss of men in examination brought the number below the minimum required for a full company, and therefore we were only entitled to a first and second lieutenant and as the orders had been received for the company to be ready to join the 155th Regiment Pennsylvania Volunteer Infantry, to which we were assigned, which was then on its way from Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C., I was advised to recommend a lieutenant for commission to put in charge of those mustered to meet and go forward with the regiment. Risden DeFord, having furnished the largest number of recruits, was commissioned first lieutenant, and after consulting with the other recruiting leaders, a partial list of non-commissioned officers were furnished. Lieutenant DeFord, and the remainder were appointed after I joined the company in the field. It was no little solicitude for the welfare of the company that on the fifth day of September we marched from camp to the station, and I saw them depart for the field of action in charge of the first lieutenant, who had little or no experience in company movements. Having been detained by order of Captain Norton, S.A., mustering officer at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to wait the return of those who had obtained leave to go home, and for the further purpose of making out a full set of descriptive mustering rules, one of which was sent to the War Department at Washington, D.C., one to the State Department at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, one with the U.S. mustering officer, and one was retained for the use of the commanding officer of the company. This work required a great deal of care. The names were alphabetically recorded and a full description of each man given, so it took several days to accomplish the task. The men absent on leave returned promptly, and were mustered into service September 11th, 
the company being now filled to its near maximum. William W. Caldwell, who had the second largest number of recruits, was appointed second lieutenant, and J. Andrew Klein captain, both taking the required oaths, it all being done on the same day, September 11, 1862. This completed the organization of the company. I was then sent to the office of General W.W. Irwin to get transportation for the men, and they were sent in charge of Lieutenant Caldwell to join the company near Washington, D.C., and I was again detained to make an additional set of muster-in rolls, which completed the work of the organization of Company K, 155th Regiment Pennsylvania Volunteers. During my detention at the state capitol, I had given an order for a captain's regulation uniform, and I also received a message to call at a certain military store, where a sword and sash of superior quality had been purchased for me. The gift of James E. Brown, Esquire, my former employer. I have now finished the work assigned me, i.e. writing the history of the organization of the volunteer company called Loyal Union Guards, recruited in Armstrong County, Pennsylvania, up to its muster from the United States Service and assignment to the 155th Regiment Volunteer Infantry, and their movement with the regiment to join the Army of the Potomac near Washington, D.C. But as I have not yet left the state capital of Pennsylvania, and the company historian may make occasional reference to me as commanding the company, it may be proper to state how and where I found the company and took command. Monday, September 14th, the company muster-in rolls were completed, signed by the proper officers and copies dispatched to the place to where they were designated the one for company use being safely placed in my trunk. The tailor had my uniform ready, and it was but a short time until I doffed the garb of a citizen and donned that of a soldier. At one o'clock Tuesday morning, I boarded a train and was on my way to join my company, arriving at Washington at 10.20 a.m. After considerable searching for information, and being directed from one office to another, I was informed that the company was at Camp Chase, a distance of three or five miles on the other side of the Potomac, and was sent to the provost marshal for a pass, which was necessary to cross the bridge over the Potomac. I then hired a conveyance to take me and my trunk to the regiment, and at two o'clock p.m. we were on our way and soon arrived at Camp Chase, but found that the regiment had gone and no one could tell where. I was finally sent to Fort Ellsworth, but it was not there and as the army was on the move and no information could be received, I returned to Alexandria to see the military governor. He sent me to the provost marshal, but I could get no information from him, and was directed to return to Washington City and call at General Casey's headquarters. But no one could give me the required information there, and I was informed that it was useless to inquire of any higher authority, that the troops which had been at Camp Chase were on the move, and to wait until they received further information. I then drove to Central Hotel and paid the driver $5, which he said was a very low price for the drive. Here, I met Lieutenant of Company F, 155th Regiment, who told me the regiment had gone to the front by the way of Harper's Ferry, and was waiting an opportunity to go to his company, but could not find any way to get there. While detained here searching for information in regard to finding the location of the army, and how to get to it, a general order to the whole army was issued at the headquarters in Washington, D.C., the import of which was the baggage of all regimental and company officers of the army would be reduced and limited to a small hand valise, 
sufficiently large to contain, a single change of clothing not to exceed forty pounds, and that the master of trains would see that all trunks and extra baggage was unloaded. I immediately went to a dealer in trunks and exchanged a new trunk for a hand valise, and sent all extra clothing home by express. I afterwards learned that there was a general unloading of trunks and extra baggage, a great deal of which was destroyed for want of a way to dispose of it, and that the order was quite necessary, that the army had been greatly encumbered by excessive baggage trains. The battles of South Mountain and Antietam were in progress, and fought during these days, and everybody was in a state of anxiety to learn the result, and when information was received of the success of our army, cheer after cheer was given to the army and its officers by the guests of the hotels. Communication was now opened with the army, and on Saturday morning, September 17th, I left Washington City taking passage on a train on the road to Baltimore, as far as the Relay House, then changed cars and went to Frederick City, Maryland, arriving at noon. Got dinner at a hotel, where I found five others who wished to join their companies, but belonging to different corps of the army. We joined together and hired a man who had a horse and a small wagon, to take us through to where the army was camped, near the Potomac. We got started on our way, but found the road rough and progression slow. Reaching Boonesboro at night, we put up at the only hotel, which was a very poor one. The next morning, Sabath, we continued on our way to Sharpsburg, which was the most difficult we met, as the road was through the battlefield, and wagons were passing to and fro from the army. Timber had been cut down across the road, which had to be passed. Dead horses were strewn along the road, and it was reported that details of soldiers were burying slain rebel soldiers who had been left on the field a short distance from the army. This made the trip both difficult and unpleasant. We arrived at Sharpsburg at noon and parted, each one taking a different direction in search of his company, not knowing where to find it. I took a tour through the camp and visited brigade camps, including the chief commander's headquarters, General McClellan's, and going as far as the outpost on the Potomac. I returned with the satisfaction that a few knew that there was such a regiment in the army, but did not know where it was located. Fortunately, on my return, I met a soldier on horseback, of whom I inquired, and he said he had passed the regiment on his way and would return immediately. He kindly offered to take my valise on his horse with him. After traveling about one mile, we came to the brigade to which the regiment was attached, and here I was informed that my regiment had been sent out on picket duty along the Potomac, about a mile distant, whither I immediately went and met a very hearty welcome the majority coming forward to meet and give me a shake of the hand. After a short rest, I reported to Colonel E.J. Allen, commander of the regiment, who also received me kindly and expressed pleasure at my arrival and requested me to take immediate charge of the company. 155th Regiment Pennsylvania Volunteers Appendix From a calculation taken from the columns of the muster-in rolls, the following figures have been adduced, which show that the men composing Company K were at the time of their enlistment ranging in age from 18 to 42 years, excepting the two musicians, who were 15 and 17 years old, respectively. The average age of the whole company, including commissioned officers, was 23 and a half years. The tallest man was 6 foot 6 inches, and the shortest 5 foot 5 inches the average height of the whole company being 5 foot 9 inches. Their occupations were two blacksmiths, one boatman, one cabinet maker, 
four carpenters, two clerks, one engineer, 49 farmers, 13 laborers, one postmaster, one shoemaker, one mason, six students, three teachers, and five whose occupations were not recorded. Many of the young men were farmer's sons, who had never been any great distance from home, and I was informed one young man who had never slept one night away from his father's home previous to his enlistment. One, a student of Glade Run Academy, who was betrothed to a young lady, on the eve of his departure, called at the residence of the brave girl, and they then concluded to call in a minister and be made husband and wife. This man was appointed a corporal and color guard, and afterward was made color bearer of the regiment, at which post he continued until the close of the war. But I do not wish to lay the plot for a romance, nor intrude upon that which belongs to the company historian, and will close with a brief retrospect of impressions, which have been indelibly fixed on my mind during the time which under the providence of God it was my privilege to be their commanding officer. Although we were comparative strangers to each other when the company was organized, and many of the men I had never met previous to the day of rendezvous, yet I soon learned to regard the company as composed of my friends, and while it would not be true to record, or natural to suppose that in a company of so many men there were none who would prove recreant to duty, yet as with the greatest pleasure I give my testimony to the fact that there was no company in the regiment or brigade whose general demeanor was more honorable. Those men obeyed orders more promptly or did better service for their country, either while in camp, on the march, in bivouac, on picket duty, on the skirmish, when charging the enemy's works or in the midst of battle, than they did. Nor did my solicitude for the welfare of every man and the good name of the company as to its standing as soldiers ever relax from the time of organization until the discharge from the United States service as soldiers of the war. If I have in any manner contributed to perpetuate the memory of our fallen comrades, or aided in recording the deeds of valor and endurance of hardship by the survivors of the company in their service to their company, I will feel doubly repaid for all my trouble and labor, and I dedicate this work in the history of Company K to their children and friends, cherishing a reverent recollection of the dead and kindest regards to surviving comrades praying that when life's battles are fought, we may all receive the welcome plotted, well done, good and faithful servant, etc., and that all may join the army under the great captain of our salvation, from whose services there is no discharge, and whose triumph nigh, when men will learn, war no more. Belfont, Kansas, March 23, 1888 All right, we're going to get to... Part 2nd, written by Brevet Major D.P. Marshall, which is Chapter 1, finally. But for these next episodes, I'm just doing them in chapters, all the way through to the end of the book. So, each chapter, or if it's too short, every two chapters, however it works out, is going to be the length of each episode. They're not going to be like these little 15-minute episodes. I thought I... Did two test runs of that and ended up not liking it. So these are going to be meaty episodes to listen to as we get through this book because I have more lined up. So the idea is to try and get this done as best as possible. 
chapter one starts with them assembling and kittening all the way up until where they go back to Washington. So I think right up to right before they arrive on the battlefield at Antietam. So that's going to come out this Saturday. I know this episode's late. I'm hitting you guys with the triple whammy this week. This episode tonight, so, t- you know, the 15th, you're going to have this episode in the morning, and then you're going to have our regular 155th Regimental History episode. It's going to come out tomorrow afternoon, and then on Saturday, we're going to have the new Patreon episode. If you want to if you want to listen to this some more, it gets it gets really good, especially since we're downsizing the size of the history that we're reading. We're going from a thousand men to just a hundred. Some things are really similar, but some things are really intimate, and that is really cool to read. You have all these different sizes of history that were all written about this conflict, which is what makes it so interesting. You have the regimental history, you have the company history, you have a individual history that was written by one person who would write their own experiences, right? One of those I'm going to be reading is called The Young Volunteer. It's very entertaining. It was written more as like an entertainment history about his own experience. And so I think people are really going to enjoy that. Uh, On top of that, you have diaries that were written this time and letters. Like there's just a huge wealth of information that is so interesting and so cool to read. I'm going to try and commit as much of it as I can to audio. So if you find that interesting and you'd like to support me, please go to my Patreon. And my Patreon is War of the Rebellion, and my PayPal is Rebellion Stories. And of course, you can visit my website, rebellionstories.com, my Facebook, War of the Rebellion, and my YouTube channel, War of the Rebellion, where the poems are going to be posted. So I'll see you guys later. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Old John Brown's body lies a-moldering in the grave While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured all to save But though he sleeps, his life was lost while struggling for the slave His soul is marching on Hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah, for his soul is marching on. Brown was a hero, undaunted, true and brave And Kansas knew his valor when he fought her rights to save And now, though the grass grows green above his grave His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah
He captured Harper's Ferry with his 19 men so few And frightened old Virginie till she trembled through and through They hung him for a traitor, themselves a traitorous crew But a soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah John the Baptist of the Christ we are to see Christ who of the bondmen shall the liberator be And soon throughout the sunny south the slaves shall all be free For his soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah That he heralded, he looked from heaven to view On the army of the Union With its flag red, white, and blue And heaven shall sing with anthems Or the deed they mean to do For his soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Then strike while strike ye may The death blow of oppression in a better time and way The dawn of old John Brown has brightened in the day And his soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah So oh.